crisis. Government is not the solution to our problems. Government is the problem. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Eli James here. Uh, I just got back from a demonstration at the Wisconsin-Illinois border, where I would say you know, we were holding up signs and placards uh, saying that COVID-19 is a hoax and Black Lives Matter and Antifa are terrorist organizations and that sort of stuff. And uh, by and large, uh, I'd say, well. Most of the reactions we got were very positive. A lot, a lot of people honking their horns and, you know, uh, uh, clenching their fists and giving us thumbs up. A couple of, you know, uh, uh, liberals that were driving by, uh, you know, shouted insults at us. And in one case, we had a situation where a, uh, a white woman with a black passenger, obviously they were a couple... Uh, approached one of our we had uh, three I'm sorry three yeah three teams of two people holding up placards because these are big placards requiring two people to, to hold them up and uh, so they got into quite an animated argument uh, Terry and I were watching what was going on there and uh, it almost uh, the guy the black guy almost undid his seatbelt. <laughs> to get out for a, to approach one of our members but he thought better of it because he would have been outnumbered you know two really strong white guys against this black guy so he thought better of it and they just took off but nevertheless it shows you that race mixing and the uh, prevailing liberal ethic just is so uh, so totally brainwashing the people and mass media will just not uh, will never give up on this so we we have to we have to just uh, do our jobs and continue to expose the fraud that is black lives matter and antifa how the minneapolis riots and all the, from coast to coast those all those riots were staged and not spontaneous okay and i haven't had a chance because i've been gone all day just got back to chicago uh, to post the video of NBC News citing Eurofolk Radio as a, a hate speech uh, a site. But uh, I'm preparing a response to NBC News, uh, and uh, I'll send that to them by mail. So uh, we'll see. Maybe I can get an interview on national television, NBC. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> but you know that they'll never, they'll never give me a fair shake. So I'm just going to write Carol Moraine a letter and leave it at that. If she responds, she responds. She probably won't. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But in the meantime, and for today, I'm going to talk about the Illuminati. And the reason for uh, the Illuminati subject is because what we're seeing today is an exact repeat of how the international Jew 
staged and, and began to foment the French Revolution, and then subsequent to that, the Russian coup against the uh, people of Russia and against the Tsars, etc. And this is an, a very important subject because people need to know that this has been done before and how they go about doing it, okay? Uh, it's virtually a repeat what we're seeing today with the staged demonstrations with leftists running around, uh, being supported and financed by Jewish banksters and Jewish communists, that these people all of a sudden feel empowered, they feel like they're better than us, they feel like they're riding a wave of uh, you know change, an unstoppable wave of change, etc., etc., because this is what they're being fed by their college professors and by the mass media. I mean, there's no denying that the mass media is feeding into this hysteria, this left-wing hysteria called both Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Both of these are nothing but the same old commie rowdies that began the French Revolution and the Bolshevik Revolution and many others in between. Okay, so this is the story. Uh, We need to understand how these people operate and what the deal is, how these people will always take over a country if they're not opposed, okay? So this uh, article is from the Redemption Service, and that is redemptionservice.com forward slash birth dash of the dash the dash Illuminati, the birth of the Illuminati, part one. And uh, so the, the story of Adam Weishaupt and Meyer Amschel Rothschild and how they created a secret society that whose purpose was to infiltrate Freemasonry and exploit Freemasonry uh, to the hilt. And, and just about now today, they already had Freemasonry, and to the extent that Freemasons occupy positions of power in government and in education and other areas in the corporate, corporate world, there's a lot of black Freemasons as well, and I've been hearing that uh, George Floyd was actually a Freemason also. And we know that, uh, I think it was in the Trayvon Martin case, his father was a Freemason. So, you know, the black Freemasonry is fairly common. And I never really thought about it much, but until these staged events began happening, now I'm more aware of black Freemasonry. So, the birth of the Illuminati the, and the manipulation of Freemasonry worldwide are two closely linked stories. Of course, the Freemasonry existed long before the Illuminati. However, the Illuminati was created in order to infiltrate Freemasonry and turn what, in 1776, was already an anti-Catholic, an anti-monarchic movement into a totally anti-Christian and pro-communist movement, okay? So, Illuminati infiltration of the Freemasonic movement uh, accounted for its radical change and for its extreme 
violence, which it never really was an extremely violent movement. It was more like, um, how should I put it? It was more intellectual. It didn't engage in a lot of sabotage of governments. Uh, they, they talked about it, but they re- rarely did anything along those lines. But when the Illuminati was birthed by these two Jews, Adam Weishaupt and Miriam Shell Rothschild, the violence level increased dramatically. So here we go. Study number two, birth of the Illuminati. Today, most Americans think of the year 1776 as the glorious year of the signing of the Declaration of Independence and the birth of America. Now, actually, uh, most real historians will place the birth of America at to Lexington and Concord April 19, 1775, because we were fighting the British for a year and a quarter before the Declaration of Independence was signed. So, America was actually birthed a year and a quarter earlier. However, you know, when the politicians get together and sign something, <laughs> that, that seems to be more of a more of official act. But nevertheless, the American colonies were fighting against the British already for a year and a quarter before the Declaration of Independence was signed. So it was just a, a kind of uh, adding icing to the cake. And he continues, yet that very same year, historically speaking, and coincidentally, gave birth to something else other than just America. Something that would have an incredibly profound impact on all of America and her history, and subsequently upon the whole entire world. Okay, and this is actually covered in Revelation chapter 12 where it talks about the dragon being ready to devour the child. The child getting ready to be born was, of course, America, and the dragon that wanted to devour it was the Illuminati. Only two months prior to the great historic July 4th signing of the Declaration of Independence in Philadelphia, another type of birth took place elsewhere in the world. The day was May 1st, 1776. The place was Bavaria, Germany, and the birth was that of a secret society of scholars known from that day forward as the ancient Illumined Seers of Bavaria, also known as the Bavarian Illuminati. The Early Years Later, the Bavarian name association dropped from the title and they became more commonly known as the Illuminati that of which they still are even to this very day, without a detailed description of who they were then, who they are now, and the role they have played in world history, especially in America. And other critical details about them would only leave a true study of American history to be that of a half-baked, half-blind study. And this is exactly what has been happening within our public school system for many years, exactly just how they wanted it to be. Yeah, of course, if you don't study the conspiracies the conspiratorial uh, secret societies lurking behind the scenes, if you don't ever study that, or if you don't study the bankers and their interest in creating and financing wars, then you don't know any history at all. That's about it. You don't know any history at all if you don't cover that those two subjects. Now is the time to take the blinders off and study history as it really was and is, as it really is. The name Illuminati was derived from the word illuminated, which means enlightened or enlightened ones. Keepers, holders, retainers of knowledge. 
when a group or organization attempts to enshroud themselves in secrecy and their very name or title makes reference to knowledge, is it not then only obvious that this knowledge slide is then therefore undoubtedly a secret hidden knowledge? No, there's no such thing as conspiracies. We all know that. The CIA has told us there's no such thing as conspiracies or even worthy conspiracy theories. But we're talking about conspiracy fact here, folks. Because it's knowledge enshrouded in secrecy. But secret knowledge of what? Secret knowledge that the group or organization is up to something. (laughs) Thus, knowledge that must be kept secret and hidden from the rest of the population. The masses, so to speak. Because if the rest of the population were to find out the so-called secret or secrecy being deliberately kept hidden from them, Chances are that they'll discover that it, the secret or secrets, is a thing or things that are being used against them, like that of a weapon. Yeah, and then they'll try to get them to wake up. (laughs) That's a whole other matter. Even though, excuse me, even though you can convince them that there is a conspiracy out to get them, getting the... uh, uh, the the sidetracked general public to get, be interested in their own welfare from the standpoint that there's an enemy out there getting ready to destroy them. I mean, most people simply will not believe you. They simply won't believe you. Now, there can't be anything as evil as you talk about, Eli, the, the Illuminati, the Freemasons. There can't be anything that evil. Come on, give us a break. But, as he says here, in war, the enemy must hide his position, his communications, his movements, his supplies, and his weapons. Everything must be kept secret. So, if you can convince people that there is a war that has already started, a war against them that has already started, they will listen to, yeah, yeah, okay, the the, the enemy must do a lot of secret stuff in order to make war against us. So if you can convince them that the war has already started or there is a war or there is a group that does want to make war against us, then you can start to wake people up. But this is the difficulty we in identity, uh, in right-wing politics, in nationalist politics, this is the problem we've always had. And unless there is a how should I put this, a visible, audible, raucous threat, something staring the public in the face, like uh, Saddam Hussein, or so they thought. All that was just simply made up. But that's the kind of threat. Now, we're not in the business of making up threats like the Illuminati and the Freemasons and mass media are. We're simply trying to declare an actual threat so they can comprehend it. But nevertheless, these masters of propaganda, because they have so much money and uh, wherewithal and agents placed everywhere, they can convince the public uh, with constant repetition of a lie. And that's how they operate. Constant repetition of a lie. And it's very very difficult for us to break through all that propaganda. Okay, 
everything must be kept secret. That's why they call it top secret. Because it, the secrecy, a secrecy is itself a weapon or a war being waged upon and against another. Those unsuspecting others being the rest of the population. The people. Unsuspecting because everything has been covertly and subversively kept secret from them. Such as what COVID-19 really is. Such as the fact that the lockdown is really martial law. No, it can't, it can't be. It can't be. Yes, it is. It's martial law. When, you, when your movements are limited, it's like putting a curfew on you. And so what have we been finding out? Well, there's no basis. I mean, people, more and more people are finding out there's no basis for the lockdown. Uh, COVID-19 is not nearly as contagious as uh, you know, the studies have shown from the meetings that Bill Gates and his cronies have had. You know, I think it was in October of uh, 2019 when they put forth their projections that there's going to be this great pandemic. And of course, that's why we call it a plandemic because they put their plan into operation there's no way a medical staff, and Bill Gates is by far a, a medical person, can predict the next outbreak. There's no way they can predict it. They've never been able to do so. In the, and certainly because these outbreaks change their character, the, the microbes in question tend to adapt from one season to another. There's no way they can predict the extent and severity of the next flu season. There's simply absolutely no way they can make any predictions. Yet, they were making these outlandish claims that millions of people are going to die and uh, that the whole world, well, yeah, the whole world economy is collapsing from the fear and from the lockdown, that is the martial law, that they have created. Okay? So, in other words, it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy is what Bill Gates and company have been engaged in. But then he says, very uh, importantly here, the secret slash secrecy is the weapon. And the war is that of an economic war. A war being waged by the few to con conquer the economic business industry and finance of the whole entire world. No, no there can't be such a huge conspiracy. To then secure the victory by permanently locking it into place. That is, locking up the financial victory and control permanently through manipulation of the laws and lawmaking party, followed with mandatory microchipping of the entire population. Okay, we're far beyond microchipping, folks. We're, we're talking about nanobots today. Okay, that is locking up the financial victory and you know, using lawmaking uh, uh, ability. Phony laws, of course. Then wrapping everything up by implementing some sort of public policy measure whereby the conquered can now be placed under direct supervision and control by the military. That is a phony pandemic. Alright? That is the tactic they decided to use. Because why? Because that fools just about everybody. 
and or executive branch and isolated to labor camps and subjected to mandatory labor at such camps, i.e. a Bolshevik coup, through an established public policy measure put into place to counter any occasional specific type national disaster or global emergency, planned or otherwise, okay? Sometimes a storm will happen that they can simply, okay, yeah, let's use this storm as the excuse to declare martial law. Let's make it out to be far worse than it really is. Send the troops in. Send the white coats in. The white coats are coming. The white coats are coming with vaccine hypodermics in hand, (laughs) backed up by jackbooted thugs. Going door to door telling you, oh, it's time for your vaccination, children. These things are getting ready to happen on a global basis. An artificially engineered disaster or emergency, that is. In this way, none would ever be able to break free again in the event that they, the masses, began learning about or taking steps to change what was really going on. Well, I mean, they want, they have to have their martial law, they have to have their police state, they have to have the confidence of the masses in the assumption that all of their medical techniques are necessary and work, and both of those are incorrect. Think it's impossible? You won't think it impossible after you've completed this study. So we begin with the birth of the Illuminati. Yet, to bring this into greater perspective, we begin with the birth of the founder of the Illuminati. Okay, so, the Illuminati are the creme de la creme of secret societies. Excuse me. Sorry, I didn't have a chance to wet my whistle before I sat down here. Okay, Adam Weishaupt, 1748 to 1830. And, of course, he was a Jew. Okay, uh, Swamp Fox says, Black Freemason Lodges are called Prince Hall Lodges. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, up up until this point in time, I really haven't been familiar with the Black uh, Freemasonic Lodges. Uh, I just recall that, uh, you know, the um, Trayvon Martin's father was one. And there might be more that we're not aware of. So here we go, Adam Weishaupt was born February 6, 1748 in Ingolstadt, Bavaria, to Jewish parents who had converted to the Catholic faith. And whenever you read that, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Okay? It means they probably falsely converted just to make, you know, just to prevent Catholics from making fun of them and uh spying on them, etc., etc., okay? So they pretended to be Catholic, which is more than likely the case. He was later raised, however, by other family members who were Jesuits after his father died. Now, of course, Ignatius Loyola was a Jew, (laughs) okay? So you have all these Jews involved in secret societies, be they Jesuit, Freemasons, or Illuminati, he grew up in Bavaria, where later in his life he attended the University of Ingolstadt. Years later, he eventually progressed to and became a professor of canon law there at the University of Ingolstadt. There's a typo here. Canon law is spelled 
C-A-N-O-N, not, not a double N. From early on, he had been associated with the freethinkers of his time, an offshoot of the Enlightenment, and eventually came to hate religion. <laughs> I guess the more courses you take at a university, the more you hate something. And eventually came to hate religion, the church, government, and those in control of the church and government. He became attracted to the study of such writings as that of Voltaire and such works as that of the Kabbalah, which of course is Jewish witchcraft, and numerous other esoteric books related to ancient Egyptian esoteric studies, the Eleusian Mysteries, Astrology, the Occult, and Magic. Now, folks, this is nothing unusual for the time. Because a lot of, uh, let me put it, bored socialites, or uh, uh, the bored uh, people around kings and queens, the uh, you know the uh, nobility, they would dabble in the occult, have seances, etc., etc. I mean, this was like uh, the way they killed time, right, and had fun, and uh, you know. Uh, and do a few illicit things as well, right? If they if they were so inclined. But this, for most, you know, for the white Europeans, was pretty much at the level of a parlor game, and not much higher than that. Just as we talked about a few weeks ago about the invisible rainbow and how, in this, these same times, uh, fooling around with electricity. And people having shock sessions, right, where they would get together and get shocked by a generator while holding hands in a circle. I've experienced that myself. My my science professor at uh, Lane Tech High School did that to us. He had us all hold hands, <laughs> and one kid uh, put one hand on one side of the generator and the other on the other, and he cranked the switch and Wow, that was a shock, man. <laughs> that was a real shock. I'm surprised uh, that they let him do that. Maybe the school didn't. Uh, I don't think they let him get away with that today. Because you never know. You might you might kill somebody. You know, might have a weak heart. You never know. Of course, uh, teenage boys, because it was an all boys school at the time, are ready to try anything. And you know th- that's what uh, our science professor, Mister Brainerd. <laughs> What an apt name for a science teacher, Mr. Brainerd. Okay. So anyway, so this is what was going on. And obviously there were shysters in these fields. And there were criminals. And there were downright Satanists in these fields. Okay. And that's what Adam Weishaupt was. Anybody who gets involved in Kabbalah is going to be a Satanist. That's the bottom line. Symbolism. In all of his esoteric and satanic occult studies, he soon came to adopt the number five as a uniquely cherished number. Recognized by him as having a deep arcane universal value from discoveries he supposedly made from his occultic studies and for which he later created his Law of Fives. He also favored the numbers 11, 13, and 33, as pretty much all Freemasons do. These numbers play a vital role with the Illuminati's affairs and activities even to this day, not to mention their occultic obsession with fire, 
of which represents their signature. He also adopted other symbols and symbolism as being representative of the Illuminati, including the ancient Egyptian Pyramid of Giza, the all-seeing eye of Ra, and even more symbols associated with the number five, such as pentagrams. Oh, how about the Pentagon? To that extent, he went on to dedicate five years of his life towards study and work upon this project that would later result in the birth of his Illuminati organization, which, after a few name changes, became none other than the Illuminati. The goal of this Illuminati order was the eventual infiltration and overthrow of the Pope, church control, and religious influence, and overthrow of all governments the world over as well as confiscation of all privately owned property the world over. Well, you have to dream big, right? Vision. Ultimately, he envisioned a one-world government where the state would be in complete control of everything and everybody. Of course, we know that's communism. All people would exist for the purpose to serve the state and, and those who run the state and its functions. As a means to an end, he created a strategy where the Illuminati would, in slow but progressive stages, primarily infiltrate all educational organizations, and boy, have they accomplished that in America, including schools and universities, the church, and they have accomplished that in America as well, both Catholic and independent alike, the media, the military, political organizations, Council on Foreign Relations, anybody, and finally, the government itself, okay, Democratic Party. But both parties are just as bad. Uh, the only difference between the two parties is that the Republican Party has, in modern times, had a patriotic element, which often is at odds with the, the main you know, party leadership. The Democratic Party, however, has been captured by the Illuminati since FDR. It began with Woodrow Wilson, but the incorporation of the Ten Planks of the Communist Manifesto became a reality for the Democratic Party under FDR, and they have been increasing the size of government, all of which is illegal. All of the organizations that FDR created and following organizations such as the National Education Association and uh, the, the, the various departments of government, state, uh, well, the, we did have a state department uh, from the very beginning, but they created all these new departments, uh, nothing which are, uh, they're nothing but giant bureaucracies that leech the wealth of the taxpayer and which they use for their subversive purposes because the, most politicians uh, are simply elected to you know, rule for another term, and many of them don't give a damn what goes on behind the scenes. They don't get, they don't care who's subverting the country and why. They just don't care. They're just happy to be back in power after the election. Okay. These other organizations included such other occult lodges as that of the Knights Templars, the Knights of Malta. The Black Nobility, which was the banking fraternity in Italy, the Grand Orient Masonic Lodges of Freemasonry, and others. Many of these lodges have branched off and are today, and today, encompass 
a much wider circle. Yes, and uh, most of them operate in semi-secrecy. You know, you can go on a tour of the Freemasonic Lodge in Washington D.C., and of course they'll just give you a you know a, a pat lecture about it, and you won't get you know, any real information about the D.C. Lodge and its affiliates. So all of this is, of course, public relations stuff that very very few people ever bother to dig deeper and find out what's really going on. And so here we have some of the modern secret societies. Uh, okay, the Illuminati still at the top. Yeah, there's no more power. Well, actually, I'm looking at this list. Oh, yeah, they do have B'nai B'rith. They put it toward the bottom. I would put it way higher up. Okay, the Illuminati, Knights Templars, and the reason that I, uh, the, the Knights Templars really don't exist anymore. Uh, if they have any lodges, they're very much, you know, uh, formal. Uh, I, I don't see them having any power. The Knights of Malta, being a Catholic organization, would have a little bit more power. Knights of Columbus, Black Nobility, well, if you count the Rothschilds, <laughs> in the black nobility, then they're very powerful. If you're just talking about lesser banking families, not so much. The Royal Arches, I've heard of them, but I have no idea what they are. Order of the Eastern Star, Ancient Arabic Order of the Mystic Shrine, the Order of the Rose Croix or Rosy Cross, Rosicrucians, Ordo Templi Orientis, which is another Freemasonic Lodge, Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Here they put Benabrith. The Bilderbergers, Club of Rome, Society of Skull and Bones. And uh, there, there are many others that uh, are probably even more powerful than these that haven't been mentioned and are international in scope. Okay, uh, Freemasonry. Today there are all they are all interconnected through Freemasonry and are all considered Masonic lodges within themselves. Something we will touch more upon further within this study. For the most part, Adam Weishaupt had a huge helping hand in bringing the whole operation together. Through various connections, Weishaupt came to be connected with Meyer Amschel Rothschild, who was the original founder of the mighty Rothschild banking family dynasty, which still exists with the unyielding power to this very day. Meyer Amschel Rothschild, 1743 to 1812, admired the fact that Weishaupt was Jewish, and Rothschild very much was bent on creating a world Jewish empire. Amen to that. One that he anticipated his family offspring would grow to inherit direct and complete control over, and they have. He therefore saw the opportunity of the Illuminati as being potentially and possibly an entirely Jewish-controlled organization and the perfect tool to carry out his own quest to conquer the entire world economically and go on to eventually subdue all of the world's private economic enterprises and, of course, governments. All right, so here we have the symbol that you will see on your dollar bill. Anuit Coeptis, Novus Order Seclarum, 
New Order of the Ages, the Great Seal of the United States on the back of the dollar, okay, with the uh, eye single and the pyramid and other items, 13 courses of masonry. Now, this, uh, I don't think this was a, how should I put it, a an Illuminati symbol from the very beginning. I think the eye single actually represented Yahweh uh, way, way back when. But, of course, they steal these symbols. Uh, these symbols fall out of favor, and the secret societies adopt them. Okay, the Latin words, Anuit coeptus novus ordo seclorum, means announcing the birth or arrival of a new order of the ages. Announcing the birth of a new secret order. The influence and role of the Rothschilds upon the world stage and all of world history is so critical that to fully grasp the impact of their activities, we have set aside one complete study which will focus entirely upon just this one family alone. Therefore, despite that we will touch further upon the Rothschilds deeper into and throughout this entire study, brief mention should be made here and now regarding Meyer Amschel Rothschild and his early association with the Illuminati. For it was the Rothschilds who kept the Illuminati in business all those years, so to speak, and yes, that's correct. And, you know, because also, the Rothschilds were probably want to include other Jewish banking families in the design here, because they would want to control them as well, make sure they all fall in line if and when they are to be included or invited. And uh, therefore, the Rothschilds today control the advances of the Illuminati agenda as they continue pressing forward with their global plans. And of course, they're using today COVID-19 and this, well, it's obviously illegal in America, the lockdown. I don't know to what extent other nations uh, have limits on their politicians to arbitrarily declare a threat, a health threat, and lock everything down. Uh, The U.S. Constitution certainly does not give anybody in America that kind of power. And we also know that this is coming from above the United States of America, from the United Nations. A United Nations that the American people did not elect. And nevertheless, our Political hacks are taking orders from the United Nations all with regard to COVID-19 and the lockdown. So, where are the politicians? Where is the media? Where are the lawyers who should be stating very plainly that all of this is illegal? Okay, let's get into Meyer Amschel Rothschild. 1743 to 1812 was from Frankfurt, Germany, born around the same time as that of Adam Weishaupt. Meyer's original name was Meyer Amschel Bauer, the son of a Jewish rabbi, Moses Amschel Bauer. Besides being a rabbi, his father was a coin collector and goldsmith and was an exceptionally good at using money to make money by loaning it at a profit, despite the fact that he was living in a ghetto. So, they probably, every Jewish moneylender who was confined to a ghetto probably had ample opportunity in the daytime to go out and find customers and then come back and then, you know, come and go because 
having come back to the ghetto at night, the gates were locked and they couldn't go out. This was life for the Jews in the ghettos of Europe. But nevertheless, they could still make a lot of money uh, with their money lending activities uh, outside the ghetto. To these ends, he established a very successful money lending business. Later, his father eventually adopted a red sign that he hung over the shop entrance to represent their family business. Besides his father's efforts to raise young Meyer to one day become a rabbi himself, his father went to great lengths to teach young Meyer everything about money and turning over a high profits through lending. So as far back as young Meyer could possibly remember, he was well-groomed in, well-acquainted with, and understood more about money at an early adolescent age than most typical adults did even in the earliest of years or in their lifetimes. Much later in his life, as he arose to financial power, he changed his name from Meyer Amschel Bauer to Meyer Amschel Rothschild, originally pronounced Rothschild, and after the red shield that still hung over the family's business entrance there on Judenstrasse, that is Jew Street, in Frankfurt, Germany. With his immense knowledge, experience, and uncanny abilities on top of having been in all the right places at all the right times, and all other seemingly endless opportunities that he had happened to come upon, his rise to a European financial power was a quick one. He took every single advantage of every single opportunity that was made available to him and for which he possibly made available to himself, including eventually discovering Adam Weishaupt and becoming his personal financier and pledging to back Weishaupt's Illuminati organization in each and everything they did. Meyer Amschel Rothschild first discovered and met Adam Weishaupt in 1770. To this day, it is uncertain if it was Weishaupt who had been searching for Meyer, based upon Meyer's Jewish financial reputation, or vice versa. However it went, it was in 1770 when they met. Further uncertainty arises as to who among them actually thought up the very idea of the Illuminati. They probably just talked about it. You know, well, Jews are always conniving things, and they, they love to be spies. So, what a perfect way to combine money and spying together, right? Either way, one thing is for sure, and that is that by the following year of 1771, they had both settled upon a basic plan, and it would take Weishaupt the next five years to complete the construction of that plan. This is probably why the Soviet Union has always had five-year plans, to further its economic interests, none of which worked. The Soviet government never achieved a single five-year plan. Continuing, Weishaupt remained vigilantly under the pen, and along the way as the plan began to materialize, and it became obvious that it would soon become a reality. In 1773, Meyer introduced 12 as closest Jewish money power banker connections to the idea. Okay, so the initial Illuminati included 12 additional Jewish bankers to Meyer, Amschel, Rothschild. These included such figures as Moses Mendelssohn, Daniel Itzig, Hartwig Wesley, Friedlander, and others. 
And by 1776, Weishaupt himself had invited three others of Jewish background to be within their immediate inner circle. Now, I wonder if B'nai B'rith had already existed or whether this was the formulation of B'nai B'rith as well. Thus, the soon-to-be ancient illuminated <laughs> seers of Bavaria secret order would consist of an inner circle of five men. These being Adam Weishaupt's close colleague, friend Colmer, Sir Francis Dashwood, Alphonse Donatian de Sade, didn't know that de Sade was involved, and of course, Adam Weishaupt and Meyer Amschel Rothschild. Okay, so these are the initial five. These five men of the inner circle and the twelve others would become the very first members to form this elite secret order. And the document that I put in the chat room contains a drawing of these people getting together. On May 1st, 1776, and of course they're wearing Freemasonic aprons, which is kind of obligatory <laughs> for for just about every every secret society. Uh, I guess these are the aprons that uh, Adam and Eve had to wear over their private parts. The Illuminati doctrines. From the very day that the Bavarian Illuminati came into existence, they made clear amongst themselves five rules, that is five goals that they would follow religiously. Those five Illuminati doctrines were are as follows. 1. The abolition and overthrow of all monarchs and all established governments. Now, of course, at that time, that was a huge order. But if you have the ability to coin a nation's money out of nothing just by printing paper dollars, and you can guarantee those dollars are backed by some real assets such as gold and silver and copper held in the vaults, then you can start printing money, have it circulated, and actually start counterfeiting this money so that you get free income by simply printing more bills. While the backing for the bills, be it gold, silver, or copper, lies dormant in the bank account, in the vaults. Okay, this is basically how fractional reserve bank banking system has always worked. You deposit the gold, silver, or whatever the precious metal might be. It's usually a precious metal. Something of intrinsic value. And then you try to set a, a value of your currency to that commodity and by not inflating by not printing excess amounts of that currency you can keep the value of that currency relatively stable but very very few governments have been able to do this the vast majority of governments being run by liberals cannot resist deficit spending they cannot resist war spending they cannot resist social service spending. So why? So the people receiving the services will vote for you next time. Okay. Uh, th there's probably a hundred reasons for why 
the Illuminati does these things and uses this tactic, this economic tactic. Okay? So, the abolition, number two, the abolition of and complete confiscation of all property. And by this, they mean all property, all right? Your property and my property. Number three, to discourage, demoralize, dismantle, and destroy all sense of patriotism and all sense of nationalism. Number four, disruption and destruction of family life and the institution of marriage and to establish communal conditioning of children through manipulation of their educational systems. And boy, have we got a ton of that. Number five, the abolition of religion, churches, and all religious groups, except, of course, for Satanism. To carry these goals or agenda further along and expedite the process all the more sooner, they sought out and recruited one particular individual for the sole purpose of bringing the other orders, that is, lodges, under the direct control of the newly hatched Illuminati. For this very arduous task, they chose one Franz Friedrich Knigge, K-N-I-G-G-E, Knigge, the Masonic Illuminati merger. The major idea behind Weishaupt's newly formed Bavarian Illuminati was to infiltrate, merge together, and eventually bring all of the Masonic lodges under the complete control of the Illuminati. Practically from day one, many of the Illuminati members already held membership in various other occultic schools, as well as various other Masonic lodges. And of course, these occultic schools could operate in, you know, in seeming, seeming innocence without having any hidden agenda, because like I said, a lot of these groups were simply employed parlor games for entertainment. But even this entertainment could be used to compromise people and uh, exploit them and blackmail them. Therefore, through many of their dual memberships, Weishaupt considered the plan already well underway, even right from the very first day of May 1st, 1776. After their start, Weishaupt himself joined the Masonic Lodge of Theodore of Good Counsel in Munich, later in 1777, as his own first initial step towards infiltrating the Masonic Lodges. He soon after sought the attention of one Franz Friedrich Knigge, 1752 to 1796, okay, he didn't live that long, 44 years, who was at the time considered one of the most influential members with the greatest of esteem among the many numerous Masonic lodges, okay? So, Knigge, I've heard of him, but I've never had any detailed study of him. We'll see where this article takes us. Knigge, had attended the University of Göttingen, where he schooled in law. Later on, he became more prominently known as a writer of philosophy and was credited with having written a dozen novels. Knigge was highly attracted to the esoteric arts and studied the occult, magic, and alchemy. So did Isaac Newton. Because of his interests and due to his developing exposure, he eventually caught the attention of Adam Weishaupt's gang. 
Knigge was the perfect candidate for what Eishaupt was looking for. He was highly intellectual, highly respected by many upper-ranking Masonic Lodge members. He himself held a high position among them, was deeply involved in their many activities, and was further admired by many of the different Lodge members as that of a leader. He was easily persuaded to join Weishaupt's group, being that he was rather amazed at Weishaupt's Illuminati idealisms, all of which were perfectly in line with his own ideas and way of thinking at the time. So, we have the third major personality here, Knigge, in addition to Weishaupt and Rothschild. Of course, Rothschild was the financier of all of this subversion and infiltration. But, of course, as everybody knows, it's much easier to brainwash people into doing your will than to have to pay them. <laughs> it's my, once, if you can establish a way of brainwashing them, that is what is always done. Because many times, they don't even know what they're doing. And that uh, gives them plausibly, their leaders plausible denial. Well, he told me to do that. Well, I didn't kill, tell him to kill anybody. <laughs> well, that's what I took you to mean, but I didn't say that. You, mis you misunderstood what I told you. Guilty. 40 years, okay? These are the types of tricks that the Lodge leaders and the Illuminati and Freemasonic leaders employ when necessary. He wanted very much the appointment to the task for which they were inviting him to join. Knigge was therefore recruited and joined Weishaupt's Illuminati order in 1780. After joining, he set right out about the task, and it didn't take him very long to accomplish that for which he was elected. By 1782, he had successfully managed to assemble what be, would become known as, at least within the Masonic circles, the Congress of Wilhelmsbad. Okay, so the first major congress of the Illuminati. It was at this historic meeting among the many various Masonic lodges and lodge leaders that Knigge was successful in bringing about a complete merger. It was at this place and time that all Masonic lodges, including those of North America, merged together with and came under the control of the Illuminati. Well, I wouldn't go that far. The, the American lodges were probably asked to join. Some of them did. Some of them didn't. So I, I think this is uh, an overreach here, uh, a conclusion that really isn't uh, valid. But nevertheless, yeah, they did try to ingratiate the American lodges and uh, get them to join. So, because a lot of these lodges were independent and they didn't want to have a, an overseer. They wanted to stay independent. They, had, they elected their own leaders and didn't want to associate with some overarching group that they would have to pay obeisance to. Okay? So, this is an ongoing process. It took probably several hundred years for many of the secret societies to finally come together into a larger organization. But that wasn't the intention of most of these groups. The Rosicrucians and, and the Knights Templar didn't envis envisage 
joining together, but when somebody comes along to join them together in order to exploit them all, that's another story, and that's what the Illuminati was created to do. After this event, Masonic and Illuminati membership began to swell. Only six years from the time of the Illuminati's birth and their plan was well on its way to success and was proving to be more and more successful each and every passing day. After the, I guess there's a lot of people, in this case we're talking men, there are a lot of men in Europe who want excitement, thrills, adventure, travel, lovely ladies, wine, women, and song, etc., 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 after the merger of the Grand Orient Masonic Lodges of Freemasonry with the Illuminati at the Congress of Wilhelmsbad, things began to prevail for the Illuminati at an astonishing rate. Well, I guess if you got willing spies, and and many of these people would still be taking it as a kind of a parlor game, not realizing the disastrous consequences of what they're doing when they take this stuff seriously and actually subvert governments, actually subvert the mayor, the, the governor, the, the church leader, etc. But yet, when some people get involved in activities such as uh, you know, ousting a ruler, local or otherwise, this awakes in some people a thirst for power. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed that. Let's do that again. Who else? Who's next on the list, Mr. Rothschild? Okay. So he says, The entire Masonic Lodges of Europe, as well as the lodges of some of the lodges of North America, were now under the control of the vastly expanding Illuminati. This expansion of power continued to increase at a rather spectacular rate for quite some time. Yet, despite this mammoth growth that the conspirators were achieving, at the same time, this same surge of immense progress soon also reversed on them, and completely changing their course, turned back onto them like a massive tornado changing directions. Their success now became their dilemma. Okay, uh, explain please. Next heading, the storm changes direction on the Illuminati. The growth that the order had been experiencing became hindered when Weishaupt and Kniga began to take opposing views of one another. Okay, very interesting. Kniga was of the opinion that because he had contributed so much success to the operation in its entirety, mostly because of his idea of and promotion of the success at the Congress of Wilhelmsbad, that he was entitled to be co-ruler of the order along with Weishaupt, which would of course include his being ordained as a high initiate member of the inner circle. Was Kniga Jewish or not? So far, it doesn't sound like he was. Weishaupt disapproved of the proposal from the very start, and time and time again stubbornly refused to give it any further consideration. Well, he probably wasn't Jewish then. As a result, the relationship between Weishaupt and Kniga began to dissolve. Because of this ongoing dispute and indifference between them, Kniga quit the order in 1784, Prior to this, one other member of the order had already grown adamant with contempt for Weishaupt, and consequently so, had turned against him and the entire Illuminati organization. Okay, 
So yeah, I mean that that happens frequently too, and hope you hope when somebody like that quits, they keep their mouth shut <laughs> about the goings on that they have experienced, while uh, certainly while a high-ranking member. Okay, yeah, well, yeah, Adolf Hitler was Mason savvy and Jew savvy, one of the world's first. Uh, to really understand how evil it really was. And for some reason, most of the monarchs of the day before Hitler never took either Freemasonry or the Illuminati seriously as having potential harm to their own governments. They just didn't take it seriously. They felt that nobody could be fiendishly smart enough to overthrow their government. They figured they had too much military power, etc., etc. What they didn't count on was the subversion and sneaking an assassin into the boudoir, into the bedroom of the king or queen, which uh, was a common occurrence during the French Revolution. Okay. So we're seeing... Yeah, uh, Adolf Richter says, excellent book about central banking by Stephen Milford Goodson, assassinated by Jewish banking mafia. Yeah, you, t- you reveal too much, they off you. Okay, yeah, and of course, yeah, it's a criminal enterprise. It always was intended to be a criminal enterprise, but a secret one. And, well, most criminal enterprises are secret ones, <laughs> except politics. Politics is open criminality. Okay, so let's get back to the article here. Okay, so Kniga and Weishaupt had a falling out. And so let's continue. One year earlier, in October of 1783, roughly a year before Knigge quit the order, this other member named Joseph Utzschneider, Utzschneider, a lawyer who at the time had just dropped out of the order, had gone before the Duchess of Bavaria and informed her of Adam Weishaupt's Illuminati works in the making and revealed unto her everything in its plan. Utzschneider had become overly disgruntled with Weishaupt for his slow, lingering delay in promoting him. (laughs) Okay, that's that's like the military. Compounded with Weishaupt's extremely tedious demands upon him to do unreasonably more and more. Okay, so he gave him make work because either he didn't like him or he wanted to wear him out. The Duchess, after learning the information from Utzschneider, then brought it to the attention of the Duke. Duke Karl Theodor Dahlberg, 1744-1817, ordered a complete investigation into the matter. Later, in March of 1785, after gathering more details about the Illuminati scheme from the investigation, the Duke then took things a step further and, with a public proclamation, officially denounced the Illuminati and Masonic lodges. In doing so, he declared the Illuminati to be a, quote, Masonic secret society plot contrived and designed for nothing more than a revolution and overthrow of all governments and monarchies, including 
that of Bavaria. All right, so Duke Dahlberg took it seriously. Excuse me. After further stating that such activity to overthrow the government of Bavaria had already been discovered as being well into full operation, the Duke of Bavaria then ordered all Illuminati, Masonic, and Secret Society lodges to be immediately shut down. Now that's taking action. We don't have politicians who take that kind of action against evil anymore. Then began a myriad of court inquiries in Ingolstadt. This only followed with even more dilemma for Weishaupt and his Illuminati order. To make matters even worse for Weishaupt, in April, only one month after the Duke's public edict of March 1785, Utzschneider convinced three other members to come forward with and expose all that they knew about their membership in and with the Illuminati. All three men were fellow professors at the Academy of Marienburg. And uh, don't we have that in colleges today? I guess being a teacher, even at the college level, is kind of boring. <laughs> so, so for excitement, these teachers form subversive orders. Okay? Otherwise known as... Social justice warriors. And the professors, college professors who teach the Antifa and Black Lives Matter movement. How to subvert. So, so this mentality of a, a secular, devious mind, power-hungry, devious mind, is rather common. It's more common than I realized. And uh, typically, you, you will see people uh, who, well, let's call them psychopaths or sociopaths, who really have no fear or concern or feeling for other people, and who just use other people and exploit them, but yet they're very charming, and they, they're good at schmoozing and talking people into doing things they otherwise would not do, right? So these people are good at that. Sociopaths and psychopaths are excellent at that. All three had become disenchanted with Weishaupt's Illuminati goals and now felt that it posed a very serious threat to the safety and public well-being of all people everywhere. All three professors later testified at the Court of Inquiry in September of 1785. In between this time of the Duke's March Proclamation and the September Court Inquiries in Ingolstadt, in a rather bizarre incident in July of that year, the Bavarian authorities discovered a manuscript that had been written by Baron Xavier von Swack, per the recommendation and direction of Weishaupt. Accordingly, a courier named Jacob Lanz, Lanze was transferring the documents from one lodge in Frankfurt destined for two other member lodges located in Paris, and Silesia, when the writer was struck and killed by lightning while en route through Regensburg. Regensburg, wow, I've been there. That's a medieval walled city that still exists virtually intact. My wife and I stayed at a hotel in Regensburg 
when we were driving through the Romantische Straße, or the Romantic Road, which goes oh, well, from north to south, northern to southern Germany, and terminates in the south of Germany at Neuschwanstein, the uh, elaborate, magnificent castle at the southern end of Germany. It's, it's a sight to behold. Tremendous works of art carvings and towers and towers and more towers and secret passages. Uh, the uh, noble who uh, King Ludwig, King Ludwig of Bavaria, who built it, was a, an eccentric, and so he, he frittered his time away by uh, you know building Neuschwanstein, the castle at Neuschwanstein, and putting all kinds of artwork in it. So this was his hobby. The documents were discovered when the authorities found them inside the saddlebags of the horse. These documents outlined in great detail plans for the overthrow of all the monarchies and governments of Europe. So, do you think that the Rothschilds have ever stopped doing this? The plans, as written by Zwack, described at length details for the French Revolution. There we go the tactics, and how everything was planned to begin by 1789. So, do you think this event regarding George Floyd, where violence erupted all over America and points around the world as well, virtually simultaneously by very similar types of people, namely Black, Ma Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and assorted leftist thugs and college students, that this occurred spontaneously without organization? No, this was an Illuminati job, folks. The George Floyd riots were an Illuminati job, guaranteed. Absolutely guaranteed. Okay. Two months later came the September testimonials of the three professors, Cassandi, Grunberg, and Renner, at the Court of Inquiry. The Bavarian authorities now felt that they had enough proof and that the time was ripe for them to make a move. In the following month of October 1785, they launched their first move forward and raided Zwack's home in Landshut. There they found far more convincing evidence of the Illuminati's operations at large, including even more documents, records of lodge meetings and membership, and hundreds of letters of communication between Zwack and Weishaupt and others. So apparently Rothschild was taking a back seat and just providing the financing whenever Weishaupt needed it. Doesn't look like Weishaupt I'm sorry, uh, Rothschild was intimately involved in all the skullduggery and intrigue, but was just paying for it. The Bavarian authorities then used these papers, letters, and information to further raid other Illuminati members' homes, as well as the lodges themselves. In doing so, they continued to make further discovery after discovery, finding such things as more records related to the Order's planned conspiracy to overthrow the monarchies and governments of Europe, even more rosters of membership, degrees, and rank, and many articles, books, objects, and devices related to Satanism and occultism. Okay, 
that is the way the Illuminati, that was the reason for creating the Illuminati, and that's how it worked. It's Satanism disguised as a glee club, right? As a, as a drinking club, right? Where you nevertheless get together and conspire the overthrow of certain leaders. And you, you can always find somebody who is uh, shiftless enough and um, immoral enough to join you. But you also have to be very careful with, if you're talking about assassinating politicians, you have to be very careful not to uh, hire or recruit loose-lipped people, okay? Or, or make them angry so they will go to the authorities and turn you in. So this is the type of tightrope every secret society has to, has to walk along. Because the more people you involve in a conspiracy, the more likely it is to be found out. The more likely that everybody in the conspiracy is going to get jail time or worse. So you have to move very, very carefully. But as I said, since a lot of this stuff was considered to be, um, you know, parlor game type stuff, that's how you recruit these people, that's how you get them in, that's how you get them interested. And if there's hanky-panky going on in addition, uh, that will, and that's how you compromise people. So if there's somebody you don't quite trust, then you set them up for blackmail. And... If you succeed in that, then that person is yours for life. Unless they are, how should I put it, courageous enough to come forward and risk the exposure and public humiliation that might ensue. Okay, And so Woodrow Wilson was exactly that type of creature. Because the Illuminati found out about his affair with Mary Peck. This is before he was president. The Illuminati then groomed him for the presidency. Well, he was, uh, I think he was president of Princeton University. But they didn't try to blackmail him until he actually became president. They were saving their ace, their joker. They were holding this joker and an ace in their hand, saving it for the proper play. And so, once he was ensconced in the presidency, they used a blackmail deal to have Wilson appoint the first Jewish Supreme Court justice. So, that's how they get their foot in the door. That's how they get it in the door, okay? So, all right, back to the story here of Adam Weishaupt. All right, so the compilation, when amassed, was then assembled into and published as a book by the Bavarian government. The book was known more formally as the original writings of the sect and order of the Illuminati. The purpose of the book having been published was so to serve as a tool of communication for the Bavarian government for them to distribute to all other governments and heads of state throughout Europe. <coughs> Excuse me to alert them to the impending danger to their heads of state and the overall threat to the people's sovereignty in general. Especially France, they noted. Okay? Especially France. Despite having published and sent copies to the various European governments, 
with a strong emphasis upon communication to and for France. Their attempts to warn the others failed. Nobody took it seriously, and to the contrary, most believed it to be too far-fetched and impossible. Some did not doubt the existence of such a secret sect, bent on such motives, but they still believed that these were people of poor position and chasing a fanatical idea of which they believed was way beyond human and realistic possibilities, and also insane. But a lot of insane people succeed at doing what <laughs> the crazy stuff they want to do. Okay. All right. Weishaupt's ship begins to sink. When the Bavarian government realized that they were failing to get the message across to the rest of Europe, they decided that they needed far more compelling evidence to convince all of Europe, once and for all, that it was in much deeper trouble than what they actually appeared. The solution seemed obvious. They decided that they would seek out, find, apprehend, and bring before the Court of Inquiry as many of the Illuminati members as they possibly could. Those arrested would then be released only if and after they gave testimony as to their involvement with the order, and on the grounds that they denounce any further pact with the order. Then, in August of 18, or sorry, 1787, came the most severe shattering blow to the Illuminati yet. The Duke made a far more serious proclamation in relation to the organization. His proclamation called for death by execution for anyone found to be recruiting members into the organization. Okay, well, that put the fear of God into him. In behalf of the entire government of Bavaria, Duke Dahlberg was now adopting a zero-tolerance stance against the Illuminati. He also continued to step up the witch hunt effect and pushed for even more home and lodge searches and seizures. The pursuit was on. It was a hot pursuit, and the Illuminati members and lodges were literally on the run. Despite many members fleeing and remaining as fugitives at large, the Bavarian government had succeeded in devastating the Illuminati to the point of leaving it in complete shambles and utterly ruin, at least in Bavaria. In fleeing from it all, Weishaupt went to Switzerland. Swak fled and took up refuge in Zweibrücken for a while until after moving on to England. The Weishaupt gang had originally established their headquarters in Munich, but later in the early stages of their growth relocated it to Frankfurt, likely due to Frankfurt being a Rothschild financial base. Now, in fleeing, they secretly relocated their main headquarters from Frankfurt to England. This would seem like a convenient thing for them to do, being that they were now beginning to fall apart in Germany, and London was now becoming the new home base of operations for the Rothschilds. If any group or organization were able to salvage any surviving remnant of the Illuminati organization after the crushing blow and sweep from the Bavarian government, surely it would be the Rothschilds who would stand the greatest chance of reviving it. After all... Meyer Amschel Rothschild was one of the originals to finance the organization in the first place, with the rich and powerfully wealthy House of Rothschild banking firm behind it, the Illuminati order stood a greater than ever chance of surviving the harsh demise that the Bavarian government had now inflicted upon it. Okay. So the next heading is the Rothschilds take over the Illuminati. 
And this is uh, kind of like where I wanted what I wanted to find out is when and where did the Rothschilds fully take over the Illuminati? Okay. So, oh yeah, and uh, the Illuminati Freemasons are just a cover for Jewish gangs. It's all, it's all Jewish at the top. There's no doubt about it. Okay, so, Weishaupt had taken great pains to write at length an entire outline on how, if anyone outside the ultra-secret Illuminati should ever learn of them and go on to con conceive of or discover their true motives, and this led to an attempt to foil their advances or destroy the order altogether, that they would not only continue to exist and operate secretly underground even more covertly than before, but that they would do everything possible to appear as if they had been broken up or completely dissolved from existence. In other words, to fake one's own death, okay? <laughs> Which occasionally people do from time to time. When they find themselves in dire straits, let's say, or overwhelming financial ruin, and they say, oh, heck with it, I'm just going to disappear. He further wrote how that should be that the order gets shut down or disrupted in any way whatsoever, that he would try at least five times harder. <laughs> There's that number five again. Five times harder to revive and expand it. In one of his quotes, he arrogantly spoke of how he would even do so within only a year. Quote, I have considered everything and so prepared it, that if the order should this day go to ruin, I shall in a year reestablish it more brilliant than ever. Okay, and that's brilliant being the light of Lucifer, as uh, we know from the American Illuminatus, a general, the general in the Civil, Civil War, Albert Pike. Okay, so I think uh, yeah, we uh, we certainly have enough time to cover this section and uh, then get some into Freemasonry as well. Okay, so, despite what some historians have claimed regarding the fate of the Illuminati, it is quite obvious that the Illuminati never ended, but rather only switched hands. Weishaupt continued to manage the underground operations of the Illuminati from Switzerland. With the headquarters having moved to London, it was only obvious who were now in control of it and who were now executing the dictates of Weishaupt even from his abode in Switzerland. None other than the Rothschilds. Being that the mighty Rothschilds were now able to protect the secret order with their money power, as well as manage the operation of the order from England, and being that everything was now well in safe hands and safe keeping with the Rothschilds from within the secure borders of England, Weishaupt himself could now refocus his attention back upon their original plans for a coup d'etat in France. This time, however, with no interference from the Bavarian government. When the French government underestimated and failed to act upon the advice of the Bavarian government at a time when circumstances were ripe in their favor, they missed perhaps the only real possible chance they ever actually had to have prevented further infiltration and chaos from the Illuminati. 
as a result of their wanton disregard for what they could have had and should have considered an early warning sign from the Bavarian government, France became infiltrated with Illuminati conspirators under the leadership and direction of the revolutionary Maximilian Robespierre, a member of the Illuminati and longtime friend of Adam Weishaupt for many years. Of course, Robespierre was very much influential in the reign of terror you know, and the taking of control of the French government by the, well, the revolutionaries. Robespierre met and had known Weishaupt from early on from a time when Weishaupt had visited for a lengthy time in France, long before Weishaupt had ever attended the University of Ingolstadt or ever began the secret cult that would become the Illuminati. Okay, so they were old buddies. The entire French Revolution was constructed from within a building known as Jacobin's Hall, just outside Paris. It was there at Jacobin's Hall that over 1,300 Freemasons met, all under a control and direction of Robespierre, and the Illuminati members who were mixed with them and formed the infamous Jacobin Club, named after the Hall. Okay, so... That's a lot. <laughs> 1,300 members, all organized under Robespierre and financed by Rothschild. The Jacobins would then go on to prove themselves the bloodiest nightmare ever to come upon France. What would then become more infamously known as the Reign of Terror ended up claiming hundreds of thousands of lives, resulted in King Louis XVI and Queen Marie Antoinette being beheaded, despite all that King Louis XVI had done for France, and left France utterly devastated and in despair, until the Jacobins were eventually brought down and crushed by the rise to power and pursuit of them by the then newly established Napoleon Bonaparte, with Robespierre himself beheaded at the very end of it all. Okay, so, well, Louis XVI was not totally without sin, in this matter, yeah, he was, he was primarily a good king. If you know, I wouldn't say he was corrupt, but the court was corrupt. There's no doubt about that. the The king and queen would also, you know, look the other way when small incidents of corruption would occur within the court. That's kind of common in uh, medieval times, anyway. Anyway. His big mistake was when he sent the military out to suppress a civilian uprising uh, against women. At least that's how it was perceived by the French, by the French people, and by the French press, much of which was already in the hands of the Illuminati. But in fact, as I recall the story, they were actually men disguised as women, <laughs> okay? So it wasn't as dastardly a deed as it appeared to be on the surface. This is the type of thing that the Illuminati do, like Black Lives Matter pretending to be good, honest, hard-working blacks, or Antifa not being communist but a glee club at the university, this kind of thing. Okay. Napoleon would then become a mortal enemy of the Rothschilds. 
and the whole Illuminati conspiracy. After all the bloodshed left behind from the failed Jacobins, Weishaupt then faded from the picture until he died in 1830. The Rothschilds were now in control of the Illuminati, and it was a control that they had become, had become theirs to keep from then on. Under the Rothschilds, the Illuminati was now guaranteed to continue. For good reason. Now that the Illuminati was controlled by them, world financial supremacy for the Rothschilds was now within their easy reach. And of course, right after the Battle of Waterloo in 1815, at the Congress of Vienna, the Rothschilds attempted to co-opt the meeting and steer it in their direction toward a one-world government, where they, the Rothschilds, would be the supreme financial advisors to all of the party nations. At least that was the plan. And uh, it probably would have succeeded if Russia, the Tsar of Russia at the time, had not declined to become a member. And I think he, he talked uh, the Austrian king out of it as well. But they got close to having their very first world government in 1815 called the Congress of Vienna. They had several other such congresses in the 1800s, and the the first one to succeed to a certain extent was the League of Nations after World War One, a, a war which was orchestrated by the Rothschilds. But it was nixed by the American Congress and never materialized into any. Excuse me, any. Um, organization with teeth. That's why they had to have World War II so they could finally establish the United Nations. So the Rothschilds have been trying to establish this one world government since 1815. Meyer Amschel Rothschild's dream had become reality. His sons would go on to one day dominate the world markets and hopefully for Meyer and his sons, go on to one day dominate over all people of the world. That Well, they've accomplished that. In order to accomplish this and secure for themselves domination over all people the world over, first they would have to usurp the wealth of the world, one nation at a time. And then they would have to secure and lock it into place, this usurpation and control, which is maybe even harder to do than stealing it in the first place. This required for them to expand upon the power of their Illuminati organization through Freemasonry and the Freemasonic Lodges of the world, and it required for them to expand as deeply into all foreign markets and foreign affairs as they possibly could. And expand they did. Okay, so by now you should have a clear perspective of what the Illuminati is, what Masonic and secret societies are, how they operate, and the impact that they have had and continue to have on a given nation, its government, history, and people. Next, the preceding focus of study will be upon that of the notorious Rothschilds and the impact that they have had and continue to have on nations, their governments, history, and people, especially America. So go now to study three, the Rothschilds, by clicking the below link or continuing browsing down this page. All right, I'm just going to continue browsing down the page for now. History of Freemasonry. 
So, but Freemasonry existed long before the Illuminati. It was uh, the Illuminati's attempt to infiltrate Freemasonry and take total control from behind the scenes, which was their objective. Okay, and Adolf Richter says, Radio host proving that almost all looters are whites, probably in what, in the aftermath of the George Floyd riots? Maybe we'll have a chance to take a look at that before today's show ends. But back to, yeah, it's, it's orchestrated. And you need, you need to have uh, good, uh, good agents, people who know what they're doing and won't mess it up. <laughs> okay, So you're probably talking about a lot of white liberals involved in all of this. You know, because they've been brainwashed into believing that Christianity is evil, and even though they're working for the super rich in the Illuminati, and I think most of them realize it, they still outwardly proclaim their hatred for capitalism, even though their bosses are capitalists, their funders are capitalists. All right, let's get history of Freemasonry. To this day, it is not known exactly when Freemasonry and its Masonic lodges came into existence. The oldest document in existence that makes reference to Masons is the Regius Poem, which dates back to the year 1390. Although there is also evidence from the writings of a noted Masonic historian named Harry Carr, where in one of his writings he was alluding to Freemasons when he spoke of the year 1356 as being the year that it all began, referring to the formation of the London Masons Company. And yes, this is my understanding from reading proofs of a conspiracy by Professor Robeson. Yeah, modern Freemasonry began in England and as a, an anti-Catholic movement but since it was founded in a Protestant country, namely England, it wasn't totally anti-Christian. It was only anti-Catholic and anti-French monarchy. That's the beginning. That's the real beginning of Freemasonry in England. Other historic documents make reference to the early Knights Templars' influence as a secret order dating back to around 1118 A.D., with the Knights Templars today having a major connection with and being heavily involved in Freemasonry. Finally, there is still more evidence, yet although in, uh, in question. There is much more in the Bible of a stonemason named Hiram, who is known for having been the chief builder of King Solomon's Temple. To this day, the death of Hiram Abiff, A-B-I-F-F, Hiram Abiff is acted out during the ceremonies of the new initiates who join a Masonic Lodge. According to Masonic legend, Hiram was tortured and killed by three very curious slash envious fellow crafts or fellow builders, known also as the Three Ruffians. According to the ritual, because he would not reveal certain secrets of the Master Mason to them. Okay, so... Now we see a little bit of torture being added to the mix. From this legend is where the early Masons originally supposedly adopted their reputation for keeping secrets. During the initiation, the novice 
is told that he must never tell anyone or admit that he is a Mason. Freemason. <laughs> so Jews are supposed to admit that they're Jews in polite company. They keep that to themselves because that's how they can get more information from Nagoyim than probably any other way by pretending to be one of us. Okay, so, according to Masonic legend, Hiram was tortured and killed by three very curious, envious fellow crafts who were known as the Three Ruffians, according to the ritual, because he would not reveal certain secrets of the Master Mason to them. From this legend is where the early Masons originally or supposedly adopted their reputation for keeping secrets. During the initiation, the novice is told that he must never tell anyone or admit that he is a Mason. Freemasonry includes a total of 33 degrees that a Mason can advance to. The chart below outlines in more detail the level and position of the degrees when compared. I'll took that in a look at that in a, in a bit. A couple more paragraphs here. There are not a very large number of Masons when compared with a given country's population. Perhaps only a few people out of every hundred are Masons. Maybe not more than two or three. Maybe not even that much. Maybe two or three out of a thousand, maybe? More surprisingly yet, about 90% of those that are Masons are led to believe that there are only three degrees total. Okay, that's where the initiates kind of uh, you know, stay at forever if they're never tapped for advancement. And no more. Therefore, 90% of those who become Masons are not only deceived from the very start, but never advance beyond the third degree. Most of those that do advance beyond the third degree do not seek it of themselves, but are specially selected for various reasons by what is known as the Supreme Council. They might want to bring you in for your expertise in a certain technical field. But special, a special governing body of Masons in each of the various Masonic organizations and jurisdictions, usually consisting entirely of worshipful masters, Certain select Masons whose duty it is to conduct the ceremonies of initiation for new recruits entering the Lodge. Finally, even those 10% that do advance beyond the third degree and or do reach the highest level of 33rd degree usually go no further. Yet beyond the 33rd degree and at the very top of it all is none other than the Illuminati itself. The darkened capstone pictured at the top of the pyramid below represents the Illuminati, the global elite. And of course, listeners to your folk radio understand that the Illuminati and the deep state and the Jews are one and the same. Finally, even those 10% that do advance beyond the third degree and or do reach the highest level of 33rd degree usually go no further. Okay. So, the darkened capstone is the, the council, I believe it's known as the Council of Thirteen. The Council of Thirteen. And uh, uh, below that is the uh, group consisting of the 300. So, we have from thir- 13 to 300. Okay, and there's a very interesting chart here about the structure of masonry. It's a very good uh, depiction of how 
It's, it's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> it's a pyramid scheme. Most Masons are not even aware of anything existing beyond the third degree. These men usually consist of good Christian men whom believe that the Masonic Lodge is that of a good, reputable Christian organization. They have not even the slightest clue what exists beyond the third degree, and especially beyond the 33rd degree. I thought that was the highest degree. What could be beyond that? This is why many men of the past, and even today, have ended up dropping out from being a Mason. They somehow learn of these other existing degrees, only to find themselves now more suspicious than ever of the whole entire operation. Many have dropped out and then publicly spoken out against it. Yet there have been many men who, who died as Masons, never knowing the truth, and that's for sure. Many U.S. presidents, government officials, and leaders have been Masons. Yes, George Washington is often depicted as a Freemason, but the American colonies only had three degrees in those days, and they were not yet infiltrated by the Illuminati. That process was just beginning to start. So, following is a well-researched compilation of proven Freemasons, but George Washington, in his private correspondence, though so many of those letters are preserved, he disavows Freemasonry, says he just participated in a few rituals, and you know, as well, even as the homosexual lobby does, if they can recruit a straight person to act act gay, <laughs> right, they will claim that person as their own in order to elevate their own status. See, Napoleon was one of us, okay? They do this very frequently. Well, the same thing is true of Freemasons. They will claim a certain individual is one of their top recruits when, in fact, in the case of George Washington, he, he rarely attended any ceremonies. I think he did attend one in Washington, D.C., for the dedication of a building, and that's when they put their aprons on, when they have such dedications, okay? All right, 16 presidents of the United States, George Washington, initiated at the Fredericksburg Lodge, Virginia. James Monroe, initiated at the Williamsburg Lodge in Virginia, oh, number six, so Washington was Lodge number four, Monroe was Lodge number six. Andrew Jackson, member Harmony Lodge number one, Grandmaster, 1822 to 24, Tennessee. Now, okay, well here it's interesting. How high did he go in uh, his Freemasonic uh, career? Well, I think he was so preoccupied with military affairs and then with presidential affairs that he probably didn't have much time to deal with these other things. So we'll see if uh, yeah, if Andrew Jackson uh, passes muster as an anti-Mason. Now, he may still be a Mason of the lower ranks without being as totally corrupt or even corrupt at all as most Masons, in fact, are at virtually all levels because they're asked to take an oath against the rest of society. 
and very often against what used to be in those days the Christian faith, okay? So then we have James Knox Polk, Columbia Lodge, number 31, Tennessee. David Rice Atchison, spelled A-T-C-H-I-S-O-N. David Rice Atchison, who lived who lived to the year 1886. Ex-officio president for one day, March 4th, 1849. Member, Platt Lodge, number 56, Missouri. James Buchanan, Lodge, number 43, Pennsylvania. Andrew Johnson, Greenville Lodge, number 119, Tennessee. James A. Garfield, Magnolia Lodge, 20, Ohio. William McKinley, Hiram Lodge, number 21, Virginia. So as I'm reading through this list, it's really obvious that just because you were initiated into Freemasonry does not make you immune to being assassinated by the Rothschilds. Okay, many of these presidents were assassinated by the Rothschilds after making statements to the effect that the international bankers are not to be coddled. The international bankers are not to be coddled. And shortly after making such statements, McKinley, Garfield, and uh, I'm trying to think of some of the others. Actually, Abraham Lincoln's in that category too. So shortly after they make statements against the Illuminati, they have been assassinated. Theodore Roosevelt was not assassinated. He was in the Matinecock Lodge, Oyster Bay. William Howard Taft, I'm surprised at that. Affiliated Kill Winning Lodge, number 356, Ohio. Warren Gamaliel Harding, Marion Lodge, number 70, Ohio. You can see that the number of lodges <laughs> is increasing by the decade. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. What lodge? Doesn't give the lodge. Okay, raised to the 32nd degree on November 28, 1911. Harry S. Truman, 33rd degree, Belton Lodge, number 450. Lyndon Baines Johnson. Oh, okay, they're not talking degrees, they're talking about presidents here. 36th president. Gerald Ford. Columbia Lodge, number 3, Grand Lodge of Washington, D.C. Courtesy to Malta Lodge, number 465, Grand Lodge, Michigan, Grand Rapids. Okay. Yes, and many of the signatories of the uh, Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution were, in fact, Freemasons. But as I said, these were not affiliated with the Illuminati. The Illuminati had not had a chance yet to infiltrate these organizations. Okay. So, Adolf puts in another a link here. And so, from, from what we've learned here, the way the Illuminati operates and the way the Jews operate 
with their secret societies infiltrating, blackmailing, cajoling, sometimes murdering if necessary, to achieve their ends, you can see that any politician who dares to stand in opposition to them does not live very long. That was true, of course, of Lincoln, Kennedy, and Huey Long of Louisiana. During the Great Depression, Huey Long would not go along with Roosevelt's banking uh, holidays, and he told the bankers of the state of Louisiana to just continue operating as usual, wear your face mask and gloves, and obey orders, right? The orders from on high, from the high Jew bank. So Huey Long resisted that, and Huey Long was going to threaten FDR for the presidency, and he probably would have won because Roosevelt was really not very popular. But the fireside chats probably gained him some popularity, but he, he was by no means a popular person. Okay, so according to this story here, and of course the Kabad Lubavitchers are involved, from Christians for Truth, Kabad Jewish supremacists exploit BLM March to promote Antichrist Noahide legal reforms. Oh, okay. So that's the game, is it? <laughs> well, we've known that they're going to be pushing for the Noahide laws. Whether they can institute the guillotine again like they did during the French Revolution remains to be seen. On Sunday, more than 100 people, including many Kabad Lubavitch supremacist Jews, marched in the volatile Crown Hurt Heights section of Brooklyn allegedly to show support for the Black Lives Matter movement. Quote, This is such a blessing. I've been here through riots, and we had different uprisings and different things that went on in the Crown Heights community between blacks and Jews. This to me is, I'm almost choked, <laughs> said Felicia Gomez, or Gomes, 55, a lifelong Crown Heights resident after stumbling upon a Black Lives Matter solidarity march in her neighborhood organized by the community's Jewish residents. Okay, the Jews are always exploiting the blacks. On Sunday, more than 100 people marched through the heart of Jewish life in Crown Heights, past 770, the worldwide headquarters of the Kabad Lubavitch movement, and along a major street to show their support for Black Lives Matters. Carrying signs and chanting, rally organizers encouraged their fellow Kabadniks to stand up for Black Lives Matter, saying it was a matter of Jewish law to do so. Well, it's always a matter of Jew Jewish law to exploit anyone you can. My heart also, quote, she says, My heart also cries out as a Jew for a very specific reason. I am a Lubavitcher. This is our neighborhood. The Lubavitcher Rebbe is sort of the spiritual leader here. Rebbe, of course, meaning rabbi. Ephraim Sherman, one of the organizers of the rally, told the crowd, quote, and he put a special emphasis on the Shiva Mitzvah B'nai Noach, 
the seven laws that apply equally to all human beings, but they were not composed by neither either Moses or Noah. And one of those is establishing a justice system. Emphasis on the word justice. Well, Jew, Jew justice is no justice at all. Quote, and if an agent of the justice system can murder a person in cold blood that doesn't just call out as a human issue, as an American issue, to me that calls out as a halakhic issue, a Jewish law issue, it should call out to every Jew, he added. Okay, so the Jewish people are always being stirred up by their rabbis, politically, unlike Christians, who are basically uh, wallflowers when it comes to to politics okay they may get involved in a campaign and vote for somebody but not to the extent that jews do Uh, the jews put our people to shame in that regard on top of being home to the kabad movement crown heights is also historically a caribbean african-american neighborhood tensions boiled over in 1991 when the motorcade of rebbe menachem mendel schneerson accidentally struck two children of Guyanese immigrants, killing one. A three-day riot ensued, which left two people dead. I can't even explain it. As a person who grew up in Crown Heights in 55 years, I've never seen this. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, said Gomes at the rally's end. I don't know, was he thanking Black Lives Matter for being there? That's kind of a vague quotation. But back to the article. There's a very good reason why Felicia Gomes has never seen Kabad Jews support black interests. The most revered Kabad rabbi Menachem Schneerson once famously stated, quote, A non-Jewish soul comes from three satanic spheres, while the Jewish stems from holiness, unquote. Many Jews, of course, complain that Kabad Jews are not real Jews, that they are extremist Jews whose teachings are not based on the Torah, but rather the Tanya. How about the Talmud? But they say the Tanya. T-A-N-Y-A. What they don't tell you is that by the Torah, they really mean the Talmud. And in the Talmud, you will indeed find many rabbinical opinions that clearly express the racial superiority of Jews to the animal like Goyim. And this is why the Jews like to use the word goyim, because that's their word for animal, for subhuman, etc. This is the type of people we are dealing with, folks. The type of people we are dealing with. And considering that Donald Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, is a Kabbad Jew, I didn't realize he was a Kabbadist. It would be disingenuous to claim that this is a radical fringe group. So why are these Jewish supremacists suddenly supporting Black Lives Matter? Well, it's not suddenly. It's not suddenly at all. They've been supporting, starting with Dr. Martin Luther King. I shouldn't give him credit for being a doctor, but nevertheless. So even in the 30s, the 20s and 30s, the Jewish community exploited National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. They created that organization for the blacks and provided most of its leaders in, the, in its entire history. I think only one or two actual blacks 
have ever <laughs> been in a leading position of the National Association for the Advancement of the Chosen People. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. Is it anti-Semitic to ask how is it good for the Jews? Okay, that's the bottom line for every, every decision the organized Jewish community makes. Is it good for us? Kabad Jews want any new racially sensitive legal system that will be instituted to be based on their seven Noahide laws, which appear nowhere in the Bible and have nothing to do with Noah. Among those Noahide laws is the death penalty for idolatry. And Kabad Jews, of course, consider Christianity to be idolatry. These Antichrist Kabad Jews have a lot in common with the Bolshevik Jews who murdered 60 million Russian Christians. And if they get their way, the genocide in Russia will be repeated in America. And any black or white BLM supporter who is foolish enough to believe that these Jewish supremacists who see them as literally animals are on their side is going to be in for a rude awakening, or as Lenin said, liberals are useful idiots. <laughs> liberals are useful idiots. All right, folks, so this is where we're headed. The George Floyd event was nothing than the first wave of massive terrorism in America, designed to bring America down and bring Christianity down on behalf of the Rothschilds and the Jewish banksters. That's all it was. So you can expect more of this as the French got more and more of it as time went on and as the Russian people got more and more of it as time went on. This is the wave of the future, folks, until the second coming when Yahshua Messiah will come and destroy our enemies once and for all. This is how they operate, and they're still doing it today. So we can expect them to continue this until either they destroy themselves or we destroy them, whichever comes first. All right, folks. That's today's report on the Illuminati and the and how they operate and they're, they're using the same tactics today that they did then. Stay alert, stay wise, stay savvy. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. See you all again next time. Bye bye. Government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem.